I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And And this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club, the podcast where we are reading these celebrity memoirs so that you don't have to. I couldn't think of anything creative to say about this week's episode because there's nothing to talk about. Hey, we gave her the creativity she gave us, and I think that that's respectful and mutual. Eye for an eye. Claire. Mm-hmm. If you were to write a book about your life, sure. what would you title last week's chapter? What an interesting question. I never really thought about it that way before. I think I would call it, well, a loss is a loss, but a win is a loss. No. I would call- <laughs> what? Okay. Can you explain for me what is, I guess, going so bad in your life? No, no, no. no. I was going to say a loss can, a loss is a loss, but a loss could be a win. Sure. And sometimes looking at the loss and not calling it a loss is a win in itself. Okay. And by that, I mean, as you guys might remember, I had some lofty, lofty New Year's Eve goals, (laughs) one of which (laughs) was to run a half marathon in under two hours. So here's something a little stupid about me. You guys know I don't really acknowledge or accept who I am. And I even saw (laughs) on the books that this half marathon was coming one week after we went on a whirlwind tour. And I thought to myself... What better time to be training than when you're on a different flight every other day? Because you get off the flight and you're so excited to use those legs. What else would I even do in these other countries? I would just go running. And it turned out that that didn't happen once. And so I do have a half marathon to run. I guess at the time that this comes out, I will have run it, quote unquote. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I will have gone to the start line. I will have picked up a bib. (laughs) Let's not get ahead of ourselves. The half marathon will have passed. Who knows if I was on course or not. And it turns out I did not get around to training for it. And I did. I've so far run one time, three and a half miles. That was four weeks ago. I will say that coming into this half marathon, I have run this last month, I think less than I've run in my entire life. It turns out it was a very busy time for us and nobody could have predicted that. <laughs> so here's what I'm saying. A loss is a win sometimes. <laughs> Normal Claire would have been very hard on herself and saying, Claire, you loser. <laughs> if you had wanted to run this race fast, you probably should have tried one time to prepare. But you know what new Claire is saying? Huh? This week you made chia pudding twice already. And it's only Tuesday. Changes are coming. So you know what? It's. Slow and it's steady. And maybe that was, it's not that I'm not becoming a better person. It's just that I wasn't starting with the running. I was starting with the chia pudding. And I think the chia pudding will beget the running. And I think, I do think in 2024, I will do a full marathon. (laughs) And Ashley, if you were to write a book and last week had a chapter title, what would you chapter that title? What would you title that chapter? I guess I was going to be proud of myself for like really taking care of myself. What are you talking about? You sound crazy. And then I remember that I've been like, drinking even though I had a cold I'm running a half marathon completely untrained I like actually there's I would not say you've been good to your own health this week. no I haven't at all I don't know what I'm thinking <laughs> what well what made you think to say I guess that? what I realized this week is that if I were to write a memoir it would be a lie <laughs> but did you, you made chia pudding too though it I was, did make chia pudding is that what too. this was based on no I guess I've been trying to have a real like self-care glow up kind of week. I, f- I get really stressed about making appointments because I'm like, if one other thing comes up, I'm like, I don't have time to get to that appointment because walking bug is such a priority in my life that I'm just like, okay, well, during my morning block between morning bug walk and afternoon bug walk, if we have to record an episode, right, and I was planning to get a haircut, like you can't have two. 
you can't have two things in one blog. And so I just feel like when we were traveling and there was limited time for things, I got really stressed about making any kind of appointment to do anything. And I like let my the things that make me feel good about me kind of slide by the wayside. And then when we came back, I got really excited to like jump on the horse and like get a haircut and get my nails done and get a wax. And I like feel I guess that's not healthy stuff it's just like glow up like I feel good about myself there you go and who cares if you're dying on the inside no it's all about the outside I'm really excited to go get Botox tomorrow I'm just like I don't I'll be a shell of a being but the outside will be shiny and hard and that's my week should we get into this week's book you uh, I could get into half of it <laughs> this week's book is The Half of It by one Madison Beer. And I do. Th- okay, so I have a prediction that I'd like to make right up top. Sure. So this book famously, famously is called The Half of It. <laughs> and I think it's in a lot of people are like, oh, my God, kind of like when you're they're like, you don't even know the half of it. And I'm like, no, I think that's exactly what it's about. But I also have this feeling that the way it's called The Half of It, I think there's going to be another half coming out. And I don't know if that half is going to be a documentary or a second book next year. I don't know if this was like a two book book deal, but this book is only 157 pages. So it makes you think they could have put the whole of it out at once, if that is true. This is quite literally half. Like I wonder when the second half is coming. I also mm. would say, well, what fraction would you give this book? Like how many percents of the story? Mm-hmm. I would say this is 12. I would say this is 20% of her 23 years if you want to assume that's her quarter life so I guess I'm calling this the 10th of it okay yeah I I feel like that's a fair prediction to say this is the half of it in that there might be another half coming out in another project I think that she meant it like we're pretty early on so this is like I'm gonna get the first half out now and the second half will be like the next half of my career oh god could you imagine if she thought this was the first half of her career I don't know. I just think that if she's going to put out something else immediately, like there was very little in here. So to be like, all right, I gave you half of it. And now I was saving another half. I'm just like, for the love of God, you should have given us what you had in the tank now. You know, there was no need to dole it out. There was no it's like the Brooke Shields documentary. And like a lot of the stuff we're seeing lately where they like really separate it into parts. And you're like, could have been one part. I wonder if that's coming from like idiots up top. I think a lot of times you watch something or read something, you go, well, this made no fucking sense. It was like they had data yeah. and they're like, well, the data says, and I'm like, okay, well, like anybody listening to a cohesive story would actually instead say, yeah. So anyway, this book is called the half of it. And boy, oh boy, is it just like the half of every story. I feel like this book was very specifically not written for me. It was written for Madison Beer fans who already know a lot about Madison Beer and she's filling in some of the spaces. Whereas I think another question that anyone who's paid attention to pop culture has is who is Madison Beer? This book does not get you there. It doesn't get you there, but it also is such like an interesting reminder of, I think like the truth right now. And this actually came up with the Brooke Shields documentary, which apparently was the only thing I know how to reference. <laughs> and they were talking about in the eighties, there was like 12 famous people. And now there's somebody that could have, 35 million followers on Instagram and you don't know a fucking thing about them. At one point in this book, she's like, you know, I had a boyfriend who was much more famous than me. And I was like, who? And I looked him up and I was like, who? I don't know who this person is that she's talking about. I just feel like it is this weird thing where this book was written very specifically to explain moments that she hasn't gotten the chance to explain to the people who have been following those moments and to talk to her fans. And it is in no way a book that was like for someone who's ever said like, 
what is Madison Beer's deal? But I feel like, of course not. And I also think, like, what was she going to say? Well, I'm an industry plant whose parents sold her to Hollywood for a quick buck, and I've been, like, chewed up and spit out, but I'm still trying as hard as I can because I have so much filler in my face that it'd be stupid not to. Like, did you want a 23-year-old to write that down? No, but I also feel like a lot of the books we read have, like, kind of a long rambling intro chapter where they at least, like, outline who they are and where they came from. She didn't mention that she, like, has a brother until, like, page 80. (laughs) Can I say, though, and I I will say something interesting that's come out is that I'm a Madison Beer apologist is that we're like, oh, why didn't you bring up your brother sooner? If she had spent two chapters being like, my favorite childhood memory is about me and my brother, you would have been mad. You would have said nobody's reading to hear about what you and your brother did on your birthday. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I kind of think it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. I do feel that the first five chapters got to the point pretty good. And I felt the first five chapters were actually genuinely interesting to me. But then after about page 75, we were just reiterating platitudes. I'm just illustrating for anyone who's curious about this book that I do feel like this book kind of just like throws you in headfirst into being like, okay, so this thing happened and here is what I want to explain about it. Like it's not her life story. It's I kind of disagree. She got famous when she was 12. So like, how much more are you supposed to backpedal from that? Like, I didn't want to hear her birth story. I don't really care about what it was like when she's like, you know, when I was little, I always sang and danced. And then when I like looked up to YouTubers and then I put a YouTube video up on 12th grade and it kind of blew up. And my mom, like, I don't know, like how much more childhood do you want? That's It's not even that there's childhood. It's just I felt like this book, there are like things about the storytelling that felt like extremely incomplete. And I think that that's just because she is extremely incomplete. And, and I agree I, with that. Yeah. I think that. There is an interesting story to be told about Madison Beer, the case study. Yes. And I think like the frustration you had that I had, like I felt it, but I, for some reason this book didn't really make me mad at all. This book didn't make me mad. It just, it wasn't something that I'm like, this was great. We are putting ourselves in the way of books that we never would have naturally come across. Of course. And I never would have thought that this was great. I'm just like trying to give it my review, which is that I... If you weren't going to have bought this book, you shouldn't have bought this book. <laughs> yes. And I think that it's one of those things where I'm like, I, I found her very like sweet and I like want the best for her, but the best for who? I don't even know who you are, but I also don't think she knows who she is. So how are we going to come across that? You know? And yeah. And I do think the Madison Beer story, ironically, is quite interesting because she is, I don't want to say she's like a modern day Britney Spears, but in the way that we always talk about how like the mistakes they made with Britney, they fixed for the Selena Yeah, I think like they're going to be looking at Madison Beer as an example of what not to do. And I do think she has been through like trials that were like a moment in time in the same way that the TMZ era came and it went. And like it'll never be like that again necessarily. I think what she experienced as like a teenage social media industry plant, they won't make these mistakes again. See, I kind of disagree. I think that they have made these mistakes before and they made them with her and they'll make them again. I think that the thing that's different with her is that she also like blew up and stuck on social media only. So she didn't blow up and stick in the industry that they were trying to launch her into. But there are a lot of people that they like create and plant and release a couple singles for. And if they don't catch those people just kind of disappear into the night. And the difference is that Madison Beer had amassed this huge social following. And I do think she's I'm not of that generation, so it's hard for me to say for sure, but I'm pretty sure that, like, in the generation five years younger than us, so, like, Gen Z, like, teens and early 20s, she was very much an it girl. Yes. 
an obsession that your generation couldn't explain to the next generation. Yeah. And so let's get into her book. So she starts out with it's 953 on a Wednesday night. I just finished writing the final chapter of this book in my bathtub. And right away I underlined that I said, why are you writing a book in a bathtub? That seems like truly the worst place. Are you writing it by pen or do you have your laptop in the tub? What is in the tub? Nothing that writes should be wet. (laughs) (laughs) And so she's like, okay, so here's why I want to write this book. And she goes, I'm unsure why I was given the privileged life that I have when there are millions of girls just like me across the globe who will never be afforded the same opportunities. I wanted to approach this book as carefully as possible with the understanding of my inherently privileged position. And that's the thing is she does approach this book carefully in a way that is uncomfortable. Like she is so afraid and this comes through throughout a lot of this book like she says it specifically, but she is so afraid of misstepping and saying something that will seem insensitive, saying something that she'll get hate for online. Like she is so petrified that someone will highlight something from this book and be like, what a bitch. She's constantly apologizing for herself. And so she says, what is this book? I want my story to represent more than just me. While it's the story of my life, it's also the story about the power of empathy and understanding. If I can do any good by sharing my own personal experiences, I'll never hesitate to speak up. With that being said, just because it happened this way, that doesn't mean it should have. And now we begin. So she starts with, like most kids, I was always drawn to creating things and sharing them with people. She loved music. She loved performing. She loved the Cheetah Girls. I struggled to separate the fantasy I created in my head from the reality of what it actually takes to make a career work. She says, watching the Disney Channel growing up, my idea of what being a celebrity entailed was romanticized and distorted because I was watching from the outside. I didn't understand that as a viewer, I was being shown carefully curated moments that the actors and their networks wanted me to see. Once she actually became famous, she feels like she had been lied to by the industry. When I talk about my experience, I'm aware that I have to tread lightly. A lot of celebrities and people in any sort of limelight receive backlash for talking about the negative side of fame for complaining about being in such an undoubtedly privileged position. Of course, I understand why. And then she goes to be like, it's an unspoken rule. But, you know, if you were to say something mean about someone at school, that would be bullying. And yet when a million strangers say something mean about me, it's okay. Why is that? Here's the thing. Fame is merely the side effect of the career I've chosen. It's not the reward or the end goal. From the start, I've only ever wanted to make music, to write and sing lyrics that meant something to me. I've only ever wanted to create. So this is like where I think her story that she has in her head like diverges from what her story actually is yeah and she's like so even though my career is responsible for all of my proudest happiest moments it is also meant to blame for some of my lowest this is why I can't help feeling that if I don't speak out openly about my struggles as a result of fame I would be complicit in selling a false narrative I have a lot of young fans who look up to me the last thing I want is for them to see my life and think it's an end goal fine but then here's where I don't hold this against her because I think to be brutally honest with yourself about who you are is a difficult thing, especially when you're 23 and 24. But the truth of Madison Beer is she is somebody who came into the industry as a quote unquote musician, but truly she's an influencer and she still has in her head that she's a musician. Even this line, she talks about how she has been working for a decade now and fame and online virality have become more and more attainable. And she goes, I went through it over 10 years ago before apps like TikTok even existed, before the term influencer was even coined. Back then, it took a viral tweet from one of the biggest pop stars in the world to get my name out there. But today, someone can post a 15-second TikTok and go viral overnight. I mean, she also went viral overnight, but just on a different social media platform. She had a YouTube video that went very viral. And then because of that, she got a manager who was Scooter Braun, who was Justin Bieber's manager, who then tweeted about her. And then there was a concerted amount of effort that kept mounting up and amounted to literally nothing. So this idea that she's like, back in the day, one tweet from Justin Bieber made me famous. I'm like, that's not true. Like a multi-million dollar company's investment in you made you famous. Even that had to build. And when people go viral on TikTok one time, that does not 
Look at me and Ashley. We've been viral a couple of times. We're still out here building and chugging. Yeah. And so right out the gate, I'm like, oh, you don't really know what you're talking about. <laughs> if my goals were different, if I had only used singing as an avenue to gain followers, to get likes on photos or to become rich and famous, I wouldn't have stuck it out this long and I would be miserable. There's no genuine fulfillment in something that vapid, at least not for me. All my peers who enter the industry chasing fame and money have burned out just as quickly as they've started. And the crash afterwards isn't pretty. So this is where she's just out and out lying because... She is not a musician. She's an an influencer. Yeah, that's the thing that is hard for me about this book, I think, is that like if my goals were different, if I only use singing as an avenue to gain followers, you're not even using singing as an avenue to gain followers. You're using like being the hottest girl around to like be a hot girl on Instagram. The same way that Addison Ray was like cute on TikTok and then she put out a song. That is what's happening here. And that's the thing here that I think is just like the lie because you don't need followers on Instagram to have a music career. You need followers on Instagram to have like a stadium pop star career. But if you want to be a musician, there are lots of people in the music industry who don't have followers on Instagram. If writing music and playing guitar is the most important thing to you, you can move to Nashville and become a songwriter and sell songs to record labels. And like, do you know what I mean? I think she loves to perform though. And so I don't want to be like, oh, if you hate fame so much, then why aren't you in a closet producing? But I I do think that like, if she wanted to put out music, she could delete her Instagram and just have a SoundCloud. Right. She was a Victoria's Secret model last year. Yes. She had a collab with Boohoo. And I do think that there's, you could stop posting like hot photos for no reason and just be like, all I do is talk about my music. You could stop doing the influencer side of it, but that's the side that's bringing money in. And also like value to her. I want my story and all of his specificity, which is a funny word to use about this book, to speak to something bigger. This isn't me whining and saying I went through so much, life is hard. There are so many upsides to what I do, but most people already know them. Instead, this is me saying, because I went through this, I have this insight to share with you. I believe what I've been through speaks to some of the larger issues plaguing my generation. Mostly, I want to be honest. Even if some people receive it the wrong way, I'd rather make that sacrifice if it means my audience views me on a human level. It just makes me sad the way she's having to write in this very specific and like inhuman way to be like, please, for the love of God, I'm I'm a person too. I mean, she really is, you know, the your mind on drugs. She's like, here's your mind when you are an influencer. It's like she's so broken. And I don't blame her because she was pushed into it as a kid. Yeah. So let's back up to that part. Let's back up to her childhood. Chapter two, I was a natural born performer. Both my parents encouraged me, but as I got older and I continued to stick with it, I realized it was part of me the same way breathing was. I wasn't just a little girl who sang because she liked the sound of her own voice. I had a budding talent and the passion to back it up. Okay. I don't know. You're like hesitant to say. I think she's talented. I think that she was more talented than the average 12-year-old. But not more talented than the average like trained adult. Yes. <laughs> well, of course not. She was Of 12. course not. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is like, I don't know. I don't like like this language of like it was inevitable. Like I wouldn't say like little girls who sing are like little girls who sing because they like the sound of their own voice. I don't – she's like, no, but I was actually good. And it's like that's fine then. I think that there's like training – that could be done. I feel like the language here is to like set up that her parents were like doing the right thing by shoving her into Hollywood, which is like objectively not true. And I agree with you, but I also am like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, but she wasn't talented. Like I think she wasn't Rebecca Black. You know what I mean? I, I'm not saying she wasn't talented. I'm saying like the wording of that yeah. sentence to be like, 
I was so talented. How could I not have started posting my covers to YouTube? When I was 12 years old, my mom's friend invited us to this small studio space in New York on an off day just so I could play around in a real booth and get a feel for what recording music was actually like. Okay, so I think her mom's friend was Scooter Braun. I think they were friends from high school. And I can't confirm that this was him, but I do know that Scooter Braun was her mom's friend from high school. And I do know that he went on to sign her and like obviously use his connection to Justin Bieber to push her. So I feel comfortable assuming that this was Scooter Braun. And I feel bad because when she says it was just so that I could have fun and play around in a real booth and get a feel for what it was like. I'm like, I wonder if she believes that. Because this to me is when her mom reached out to this guy and said, hey, I think I have a kid that I can make money off of. Right. So for those of you who don't know her origin story, she posted a cover of her singing on YouTube. Justin Bieber tweeted it out and said, wow. And millions of people followed her overnight. Her YouTube channel blew up. She was on the Today Show like a couple of days later. It was a huge thing. Scooter Braun signed her. And the behind the scenes goss is that Scooter Braun and her mom were friends from high school. And he was like, okay, we're going to like, quote unquote, discover this girl. I'm going to have Justin Bieber like blast it out. And then I, Justin Bieber's manager, will be like, oh, my God, I've got to sign her. And so I feel bad because that's obviously like a 12 year old being used by the mother. Of course. And it makes me so sad because clearly this mom was like, okay, I have this guy who is like huge in the music industry that I'm like kind of friends with. And I could probably call in a favor. And instead of being like, hey, let me like enroll my daughter in music classes Mm -hmm. or like let her hone her skill through high school, just kind of cross my fingers, hope and pray that like this connection will still exist in six years. Instead, she was like, all right, 12 years old, now or never, press go. And that is the real way her mom failed her. The following months were quite the whirlwind, to say the least. I was pulled out of school in the middle of my seventh grade year after being signed by one of the biggest managers and pop stars in the business. I went from being a completely normal kid in Long Island to practically living on an airplane overnight. I was living a double life between New York and Los Angeles. Starting my career so young was intense, to put it mildly. From being in the studio till 2 o'clock in the morning to taking meetings at some of the biggest television networks and balancing homeschool, tutoring, and homework on top of that. Sometimes I forget how young I was when I made such a big life decision. Once, I wasn't even sure I was qualified to make it 12 years old. You weren't. I mean, she wasn't qualified to make it. Her parents let her make it. Her parents made it for her. They were pushing the shit out of her. She got to do everything. She got to go to iHeartRadio events. She went to backstage with The Voice. I got to go to London where Justin Bieber brought me on stage at the O2 Arena and sang happy birthday to me in front of 20,000 people. Talk about a happy 14th birthday. Everything moved so fast and it was also surreal. I loved my home in New York. I was always an involved student in and out of class. I had a huge friend group made up of girls I'd known since I was in diapers. But once I was pulled out of school, once I started splitting my time between coasts, I became more and more isolated at home. I spent all year counting down the days until I could go back to my favorite summer camp only to be devastated when I was told I couldn't go. Two months off so that I could be at sleepaway camp wasn't realistic. I had work to do. This is something I still grieve to this day. I mean, that is just so sad. She could have gone to summer camp. She should have gone to summer camp. This is what I thought about this book for the most part is that this should be reading for adults who like think they're doing the right thing by setting their kids up for success young. You're not. You're ruining their lives. As the novelty began to wear off, I was left with an odd feeling in my stomach that took me a few more years to fully pin down. If I wasn't careful, I would lose myself to this. So then she gets signed and right out the gate, 
everybody is like, here's who you're going to become. I was nearly 13, but I didn't understand how young I actually was, how I would be viewed walking to meetings with my team and pitching all my outlandish ideas. Instead, it was like I was given a mold and told to squeeze myself into it. Despite all my acceptance and hesitancy to point fingers, I still wish the adults responsible for me had taken more time to consider the potential consequences that these experiences could have on me in the long run. I think we all got carried away. So she's like, I was going into these meetings and everybody was like, we have huge plans for you. We're going to make you a star. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. You're going to have a TV show. You're going to be a movie star. You're going to have a record deal. And you know, when you're 13 and the head of Sony or whoever is telling you you're going to be a star, why wouldn't you believe them? I think I would believe them. I would believe them. And of course, as you guys know, these dreams didn't really materialize the way she was told. And I think for a 16-year-old or a 17 or 15-year-old, to watch these things not pan out the way you were told is hard not to internalize. So what's happening in these meetings is that there's a version of her that they've decided they can sell. They've like created this little image and she hates it. It was the most logical move to throw me in with the Disney and Nickelodeon kids to stick to the safety of bubblegum pop. I felt so wrong. I was upset at myself for being unhappy on a day that was supposed to be so new and celebratory. It just feels weird. I admit it. It feels cheesy. And then she's talking to her mom. Her mom says they know what they're doing. Just look at it like you're playing a character. You have fun doing that. I want you to be happy, but we should try to give them a chance first. This was the first time, but far from the last, that I was taught how to do something that I still spend so much time trying to unlearn, prioritizing other people's opinions and happiness at the expense of my own. I felt like anything I said that might offend the higher-ups would result in the worst-case scenario. One wrong move, one wrong word, I'd be stripped of everything and tossed on a flight back home. Everything was stemming from a place of wanting to support me in my dreams. I don't think my parents were trying to silence or scare me out of voicing an opinion, but at times they did. I mean, your parents weren't thinking of anything... I think the thing that's so hard is that like kids just shouldn't be famous like they're right why would record execs who have data and experience listen to a 12 year old who doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about if they're gonna put millions of dollars into producing a record of course it shouldn't be like based on the opinion of a child who has no idea what they're saying but also they're shoehorning her into something that isn't her because they also don't know what they're saying. And that's why there just shouldn't be a kid in the room. There should be someone who has discovered their voice as an artist. Yeah. And then it comes out that once it became impossible to keep up the back and forth from New York, my mom and I rented a full-time place in Los Angeles. And this is when she was like, I was so lucky because my mom quit her job and left everything to help support me in LA. I'm sorry, but as an adult, I actually don't think it's good for you to give up your financial security and place all of that hype on a child's shoulders. And then it turns out her parents are divorced. So I don't know what her alimony situation was, but presumably all of her financials were coming from managing Madison. And I think that that is a lot of pressure to put on a 13 year old. She says her mom gave up her business quote unquote. I do think that what we're seeing here is a mom saying like, I think I can make more money off my daughter than I can make myself. I don't know who created the packaging for laundry detergent, but it is enormous. It is awkward. It is difficult to carry and it is wasteful. There has got to be a different way. And baby, there is. Join me in switching to Earth Breeze. Earth Breeze laundry detergent eco sheets look like dryer sheets, but they are not. It's a revolutionary liquidless laundry detergent that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle, hot, cold, medium, no measuring, no mess, no lugging a giant jug to your laundry room, trying to figure out where to store it, or to the laundromat, trying to carry one of those jugs along with your sack of laundry down the street, I will tell you, there is nothing less graceful. Earth Breeze has taken on making the entire concept of detergent better. The packaging is lightweight, biodegradable, and plastic-free. 
Their detergent is great for all lifestyles, even sensitive skin. Their eco sheets are hypoallergenic and dermatologist tested. EarthBreeze is compatible with high-efficiency washers, gray water systems, and it's septic safe. Their subscriptions are flexible, so you can adjust it, pause it, or cancel at any time, no contracts or fees, and your detergent gets delivered right to your door via a free carbon neutral shipping service at a frequency you can set that works for your lifestyle and laundry frequency. Most importantly, you still get a powerful clean. EarthBreeze is tough on stains, fights odors, and your clothes come out fresh as a daisy every single time. I am very picky about detergent. I don't like it overly scented. I don't like when you when your clothes come out of the wash feeling like detergenty. I want my clothes feeling fresh. I want, you know, that line dried feeling. I've never line dried clothes, but I imagine it's what it feels like. That's how my clothes feel when I wash them with earth breeze. Don't just take my word for it though. You can try it for yourself with their risk-free 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like it, earth breeze will give you a full refund. No questions asked, no return necessary. Switch from old fashioned goo to something new. Right now, our listeners can subscribe to EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash worm to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash worm for 40% off. earthbreeze.com slash worm. She was missing her friends from home. She says, I was feeling very distant from them. I kept in touch with my friends, but sometimes that hurt even more than the radio silence. Here I was living every little girl's dream, yet simultaneously gutted at missing out on milestone birthdays like homecoming, prom, and graduation. It was impossible to balance everything, and in the end, work always won out. So she puts out this song, Melodies, that she hates. You know, I think it's a song for kids. And When you're 13, 14 years old, the idea of doing something kiddish sucks. So she has this song that she's ashamed of. And she has this experience where she goes back home and she goes to a birthday party of people she thought were like her classmates and friends and they blast the song and like laugh at her. And she, and so she's like very on her own and she's like, but I never felt lonely because me and my mom are best friends. I was like, that's good. It's good when your only friend is your mom and your boss. On the day of my first fitting, my mom had told me to think of it as playing a character, but I didn't sign up to be an actress. I wanted to be a singer and artist. I wanted to be myself. As I got older, the split only grew, and especially once my audience started to expand, I felt as if I was lying to them about who I was, like I was an advertisement only meant to sell them something. There's a psychological term for it, role confusion. In the pivotal teenage years where we're coming into our own, developing a sense of self, we try on different identities, experimenting with different hobbies and interests. If there are any obstacles in developing a solid sense of identity in those years, we're more likely to struggle for the rest of our lives. I mean, so that does just kind of diagnose every Disney star. Yeah, and I think this line is very much the whole Disney problem. Meanwhile, I was barely 15 and locked into a full career, one that required a very specific personality type in order to thrive. Sometimes I had to build my identity around my career instead of the other way around. Another thing she does throughout this book that makes me actually very sad is that whenever she references anything scientific, she cites it. So this little blurb about role confusion is cited from an article called how people develop an identity or cope with role confusion. I think it's from a journal. Yeah. And I do think the fact that she's like, if I'm going to make any sort of hard in the ground statement, it needs to be cited. And I think she has to be like, no, this thing was hard. And a therapist can back. I have a doctor's note. Like, I'm not just complaining. It actually is really bad for you. And she does this like a lot throughout the book. By the time I was 16, I've been receiving death threats and consistent hateful messages for four consecutive years. It really started to weigh down on me. And I remember the tipping point very clearly. You know, as two people who get hate and it gets me. It gets me. The idea of putting a 16 year old in harm's way and at 12, the, the level that she was receiving, I like cannot even fathom allowing your child to have a, access to a phone, allowing your child to be scrutinized that way. It's like 
putting your child literally in a fire. It's so fucking abusive to allow your kid to be hated that way by strangers. I can't believe that she just maintained access to social media. And I understand that like it's wrong of the world to act that way, but a lot of things in this planet are wrong and it is your job as a parent to protect your child from those wrongdoings. That's why you don't let your kid just walk around by themselves at three unless you're in Japan. (laughs) (laughs) So she talks about how people are just relentlessly cruel to her online, labeled a whore for having a boyfriend, for dressing a certain way, for the most insignificant pieces of my personality. I was told he was doing charity work by dating me. So she starts dating a guy who I guess was famous. I want to say his name is Zach Galifianakis, but I don't think that was <laughs> it. It was not. His name was like Jake and Jack. It was like Jack Garfunkel or something. Jack and Jake eat snacks. Is that really what they were? No, I just made that up. That could, that sounds like a YouTube video that you'd be like, oh, your neighbor does that. And then they're like, they have 2 billion views a month and they make $100 million a week. Okay. It was like a pop rap duo of like two little blonde boys that look like Mike's super short show. Da Vinci. (laughs) (laughs) She's dating one of these boys that has a lot of fans. So she's dating this guy and something that I find very interesting about every celebrity that they admit in these books is that they are reading everything you're saying and we do have a lot of impact on their lives. Like what you read on social media shipping people does impact their relationship. She says having doubts in a relationship is normal. Being insecure is human but hearing your own worst fears from someone else's mouth is excruciating. I wish I could say it didn't affect a relationship but his fans words cut deep and I was already insecure enough so his fans are constantly writing to her telling her she's not good enough that she shouldn't be dating him that she's a slut and then also and I'm not sure how this part tied in but she says from so young I was made to feel like I wasn't interesting enough on my own that all men would ever want from me was sex objectified from the start I was being taught to lean into it only confirming what I'd already internalized in early childhood and then she says this I've never spoken about what I'm about to say publicly and even though I have so much to say about it The reason it's not a major topic in this book is because I'm still learning to be patient with myself and put my healing first. It's not part of my story that deserves to be ignored, but I don't think I'm ready to go into much detail. Quite simply, the boyfriend I'm referring to was the first person to ever touch me consensually. I was assaulted as a child and then between 14 and 15 years old at a party in L.A. She doesn't really talk about it at all throughout this book other than to reference it a few times. But it really just like brings you back to say like, who was looking out for you and it is so sad what she's gone through and like the public has been horrible to her and people have been horrible to her and it is very sad I really actually respected that she was like here's something that happened I'm not ready to talk about it but it did happen I found that to be indicative of how sincere she was trying to be with this book because there's a lot of things that I think she leaves out of this book that could have been in here like I'm sure she struggled with disordered eating. She's obviously gotten work done. And what does that mean about her fans and her sense of self and stuff? And she leaves a lot of things out. But I, something I honestly respect is that I feel like in this book, she tried to talk about things. Well, she's giving us the half of it. The idea that she's like, I'm not done working on this and I'm not healed yet. I'm not in a place where I can share. I respect. And it makes me like believe the rest of her more. She goes on to talk about leading up to this tour where she's supposed to be opening for this boyfriend she has that publicly everyone hates her for dating and she is so anxious to go out in front of these fans and she knows they hate her she knows that they think that she shouldn't be with this guy and she's going out in front of his fans opening for his tour and she's so anxious she calls her mom and her mom's like you have to do it mad they wouldn't have asked you to perform if they thought it would be catastrophic they're just a bunch of mean jealous people who wish they were in your place and that is like obviously not true to say like they wouldn't have asked you if they thought it would be catastrophic. There's a lot of huge miscalculations that happen in the entertainment industry and in Madison Beer's career specifically. 
And she keeps being like, mom, you don't understand. They despise me. And her mom's like, so? And then finally she goes, okay, if you don't want to do the show, you're the one who has to call your manager. You need to explain this to him yourself. I can't be the middleman. Okay, I actually think that's like horrible parenting. This Me is too. a 15-year-old child who is being actively bullied and despised online and has a very valid reason for being afraid of performing at this concert that honestly she has not necessarily like earned the right to do. And I'm saying like, oh, whatever. I, I don't care about Jack Alphagans and Gunst's yeah. concert or whatever, but I... She was valid in her fears of being like, people hate me for dating him. I'm sure his fans are going to hate me. And the way that her mom was like, all right, you call your adult manager and explain to him why he's not getting his 20% of your performance. Be a mother and help her. She's not 28 years old, unable to handle her own boss. She is literally a child. Why won't you help her? And it turns out to be actually fine. I don't think that her mom handled this right. I do think she was right to be afraid. And I, I think luckily people were just not mean in real life. When the day of the performance came, I stepped out onto the stage and no one booed. People clapped and cheered. There were a few unfriendly faces in the crowd, sure, but the nightmare scenarios I'd spent hours playing out didn't happen. What really helped ground me was seeing that people in the audience were real people. Online, they could hide behind a profile picture and a fake name. They seemed so much more intimidating. Looking out at the crowd helped put things into perspective. And she has these moments where she realizes like the internet isn't real life. But it is so hard to process, especially when you're getting it constantly. And the way that she just has these massive influxes of hatred are like not something you should ever get used to. They are something that you need to like build tools around. Like she should have had people in her life not letting her look at her comment section. I cannot believe the way that she was allowed to just like read everything mean about her. She also says if you are struggling with an anxiety, something helpful is to make a mental list of every time your fears did not come true. Yeah, so she does this thing throughout this book. This is journal prompt number one, but she includes these journal prompts where she tells you things that she learned in therapy and tells you to do them too, which is sweet, but also takes up space in her 156 pages. So the three elements of this book, there are the actual chapters, there are the journal prompts, and then she also includes like letters from her fans that she then answers. Out of everything I went through as a result of my sudden rise to fame, having my private nude photos leaked at 15 was one of the most traumatizing. I have to say, when I read that sentence, I fucking gasped. I did not know this happened to her. And the way that it is just so like blankly put in there, I was like, yeah, I imagine. What I read, I was not prepared for. And I think it made me like a team Madison Beer person because she was absolutely traumatized. And like she was treated horrifically by the public and her family and her own team. And, like, if she never recovered from that, I would understand. Same. This is assault. And she was, like, continuously assaulted. When she was 15, she had a boy from home that she liked. And they would Snapchat each other nudes. She thought it was safe. She thought he couldn't get them or whatever. I will say there are, this happened to a lot of kids. I think the whole idea of Snapchat was that you send photos and they disappear. And when this was proven to not be true, there were a lot of people, I think, who were screwed over by that. So she talks about going to sleep one night. And then at, out of nowhere, I got a text from a friend back home. Yo, someone just added me to a group chat and sent a video of you holding your boobs. And she was getting texts from a lot of her classmates being like, I just got it. I just got it. So she spends all night trying to ensure that it stays confined to texting. She's like, once it hits the Internet. It's over. I don't know what to do. Very quickly, a friend from Florida is like, it's going around my high school. I was waiting outside my house for my mom to pick me up and take me to dance class when I saw the first tweet. Follow and DM me for Madison Beer's nudes. It was starting. Someone I had never seen, someone who I didn't know had the video, and they were using it for followers' attention. I messaged them instantly, begging, please delete your tweet and don't send it to anyone. Please, I'm just a kid who made a mistake. 
The account blocked me immediately. This marked one of the first major instances where it felt like the only way out, the only way this would ever end, was to take my own life. The humiliation only snowballed. The sentiments being tweeted were the same things I'd heard from my parents and managers when they found out what happened. Everyone was upset with me, ashamed. Telling my parents the truth was mortifying enough, but it was crushing to hear how disappointed my team was. I was 15 years old, being made to feel like my one mistake would not only cost me my entire career and future, but also ruin the reputations of all the people who worked on my team. I mean, she was just failed by, first by a person she thought she could trust, then by the law, then by every person in her life and every adult in her life. The fact that her team would even say to her, like, my reputation could be ruined by what you have done. We're disappointed in you. She is a 15-year-old who is a victim. Of, like, a sexual crime. Of a sexual crime. And so for them to say, like, you have ruined my life, you're the adult. Fucking protect her. I mean, this is literally a child who is having revenge porn done upon her by society. And you guys are saying we're ashamed in you. You've made my heart life harder. To say you have made a mistake, no. You, the adults, have made a mistake by not protecting this minor. I didn't even want to look at myself in the mirror changed out of the clothes I was wearing I felt violated I became suspicious of everyone in my life who else could possibly have photos or videos of me that they'd post online I smoked a cigarette once at a sleepover what if someone had taken a photo I couldn't trust anyone and no one was sticking up for me no one wanted to hear my side I'd ruined my life somehow with one single 10 second video and then it's like her parents were disappointed in her for the rest of the day I couldn't look my dad in the eyes the three of us sat on my mom's bed my manager on the phone discussing what our next steps would be my dad buried his face in his hands rubbing his temples every time my manager spoke it felt endless I understand that as as a dad the last thing you want to hear is that naked photos of your daughter are out there but like the fact that like the priority wasn't something bad is happening to her we have to protect her my heart really did break for her the fact that adults were saying you're such a bad person how could you do this to us like you did something wrong this is I don't understand how this isn't child pornography like I it truly is. don't understand the legalities of what happened here I don't understand if one person wasn't like we have to call the FBI like I mean it's the same with like a lot of crimes against women where this is illegal it's just like no one remembers that because we're so used to just shaming women for existing. I think until like a couple of years ago, no one was talking about the fact that like circulating leaked nudes of children is child pornography. So then she's feeling horrible for a week. She's like, I can't leave the house because I feel like everybody in the world has seen me naked. My team advised me to vehemently deny that it was me in the video. At the time, it seemed like our only option because my entire face wasn't in it. The hope was that if I denied it once publicly and then pretended to be blissfully unaware that the video was continuing to spread, the speculation would eventually die down and I could move on. But of course, the backlash was now that hundreds and thousands of people online were pulling up her manicure and comparing them and looking at freckles and going to her headboard. Listen, you cannot on the online lie because they will be obsessed with making you admit what you've done, quote unquote. That advice from professionals, horrific. Horrific advice. Advice, one for an adult for anybody in any situation to deny something that is true is like the worst PR strategy I've ever heard in my life for Scooter Braun one of the largest most popular managers in the world to have that idea and second of all for them not to come back immediately and be like this is illegal I'm okay maybe like socially we weren't calling it child pornography but the law still existed in 2016 yes this wasn't so long ago this wasn't I mean, even Brooke Shields in the 90s was like, this is child porn. They tell her to deny it. People are picking apart the video and posting more videos and saying, this is her too. This is her too. And she's like, well, now I had no way of being like, okay, well, actually that one is, but these ones aren't. Yeah, like people who looked like Madison Beer were doing like graphic sex scenes and being like, this is Madison Beer's more nude photos. No one was protecting me. No one was putting a buffer between me and the fallout. I was front and center taking all the blame and responsibility. She was 15 years old. In the aftermath, the hardest part for me was to digest the fact that no one showed up for an underage girl who had had her privacy violated so ruthlessly. 
I scoured the internet trying to find one person sticking up for me, just some sort of comfort, some sort of confirmation that I wasn't entirely in the wrong. I found nothing. Not one person felt bad that I'd had my trust betrayed. Not one person reached out and reassured me that it wasn't my fault. No one stood up and said, hey, maybe this reaction is wrong and she's only human. I'd endured hate online for a few years by that point, like I said, but now I was even more confused about how much of a punishment I really deserved. Was I really disgusting for what I did? I knew sending the videos wasn't a good idea, but was I really irredeemable? Was this something no one else had ever done before? Was there something wrong with me? In the end, I was the one who paid the price. It seems like they didn't press charges against anybody. It seems like there were no consequences for anyone. They just kind of said deny and hope it goes away. They had to hire like an internet sheriff to just clean it off the internet she says she spent all the money she had made almost up to that point paying this guy to take all the videos down one by one but for some reason i spent countless sleepless nights digging through social media sending link after link to the internet sheriff to make sure they were taken down but that also meant i saw everything i saw group shots where people made fun of me laughing at the backlash i was getting i found online groups of grown men making lewd violent sexual comments about me using vocabulary i barely even knew i even saw a photo of a man who appears to be well into his 40s masturbating to the video no one's rage was coming from a place of concern. None of the backlash online was to protect me from being exploited or to educate me about sexual health consent or internet safety. No, I was being shamed for being sexual in general. My peers were making fun of me for trying to be sexy. People were joking about something that was so traumatic for me, and it was even more difficult for a young girl with past sexual traumas. I already had my bodily autonomy and trust betrayed, and now here it was again being broadcast to the world to see. And again, to Ashley's earlier point, she has this thing where she cites the National Center on Sexual Behavior, where they're like, it's actually really normal for teenagers to start exploring their sexuality. And I'm like, Madison, yes. You don't need to like prove it with a journal. Every adult was wrong. Literally everybody was wrong. Literally every single person on the entire internet was horrible and cruel to you and you didn't deserve that. So she has a letter from somebody who says, what do you do about the haters? Has anyone been a hater in real life? And she's like, honestly, no. And that's kind of what keeps me going. But she says at one point she was reading everything about her and she was too embarrassed to even share. And she said, I'd started believing some of the negative things I was told. So I fear telling my friends the specifics of what I received hate for and having them tell me, well, I mean, they're kind of right. So she just like lets it faster in her. And then she says, after my news leaked, I spent even more time keeping track of what everyone was saying about me. I had a newfound fear of the video and pictures resurfacing. So I took it upon myself to track all my social media to search out my name and make sure no one started circulating them again. And at this point, she is 15 years old. If you see a 15 year old retreat into themselves in this way and just like constantly obsess over everything that's posted about them online, where was any adult in her life to be like, you have to stop? Yeah, she says, I thought if I knew what they were saying, I'd have some control over it. But that's not true. You just like know awful things that are you shouldn't ever hear about yourself. And then the thing that helps her get out of it is her manager's like, go to the grocery store. Nobody even cares about you. So she goes to the grocery store and nobody recognizes her. And she's like, oh, okay, I guess it's not that big of a deal. I was so scared of everyone knowing all my darkest secrets, but a handful of kids on the internet wasn't representative of the entire world. I could exist in the world, the real one, and not have to wait for the other shoe to drop. The truth is, even though I could go on for days with the negative comments I've read that hurt my feelings, I can count on one hand the amount of times I've encountered the same energy in real life. And so she goes on to be like, at the end of the day, just be kind. If you wouldn't say it to somebody's face, like you don't have to say it online. So then she's 16 years old and her label drops her and her manager drops her. And she goes, I also lost a team of people around me who I thought were family. I'd worked with them for years, only to be dropped and never hear from most of them again. I felt abandoned and I felt like a cash cow. Used to make money and then tossed aside the second I wasn't good enough anymore. She also says there's also this unspoken idea that maybe the nudes were why they left me. So now she has in her head like, well, I've lost everything. Yeah. So now she's spent all of her money trying to get 
the nudes taken off the internet, which she also says compounded her like view of the punishment. She's like, so I'm the one who has to spend every dollar I've ever made getting this taken down. I must be at fault. Now her manager and her label have dropped her. She's like, I must be just so wrong for what I did. And so she has nothing. She has no team. And her mom comes to her and says, listen, this is entirely your decision. Don't worry about me or what I think or the work it means I have to do. If you want to keep going, I'm behind you 100% and we'll stay here and figure this out. But that means we're going to have to work our asses off. So her mom says, you know, we can move home or we can stay and go independent. And she decides to stay and go independent. She says, I owed it to myself to at least try. And the thing is, I like feel like her mom owed it to her to say, like, let's go home and regroup and you can try again when you're an adult. They haven't even mentioned yet that her mom dragged her brother out to L.A. too. So this poor kid has been separated from his dad who stayed in Long Island. She says they used to live five minutes down the road from each other so that she could see both parents all the time. And now he's in L.A. where presumably his mom is putting all the pressure on Madison. He's also known as Madison's little brother. And they had an out. And for some reason, nobody took it. So she's talking about being a newly 16-year-old trying to go out on her own. I felt like I was my own worst enemy. I retreated more and more into myself, and it was the beginning of some of the darkest years of my life. Starting at 16, following me into my 20s, there were so many times that I felt so backed into a corner that the only way out was to end my life. I mean, it was her mom's responsibility to like look at her and say, we have to stop. They did not have a label. They did not have any contractual obligations holding them in L.A., which, like, of course, I think even if they did, they could have just been like, fuck off, she's a child. Staying here and trying to go at it on her own. She thinks here that she's doing it because she owes it to herself to try. I think she was doing it because she was like, well, we've already been out here this long. If I don't stay, I've ruined everyone's life. By the time I was nearing the end of my teenage years, I could barely remember what life was like before being signed. And my self-worth was entirely made up of people's opinions about me. So here she goes. When Growing up, I was a cute kid and always told by people that I could sing well. And she's like, that's what I thought my value was. If I was a good singer and if I was pretty. Again, I think this could have been an interesting rabbit hole to go down. And because if you know anything about Madison Beer, I would say she's more known for being the ideal 16-year-old looking girl than she was for being a singer. She barely put out any music. But what I do know about her was... Every high school girl in America was like, well, that's what perfection looks like. And she has never copped to getting any work done. She's never copped to any, like, you know what I mean? There's a lot of things here that she could have said, and here's what I've done to pursue that. But I also understand that I don't think she's clearly not on the other side of it. And I respect her choice to like not talk about anything she's not ready to talk about. But I would say to leave out all your looks based things is like more than half of it. Yeah. In rebranding myself, I wanted to move as far away from my old image as possible. I wanted my entrance back into the music world to be jarring enough that people would have to take me seriously. It's a big deal to reintroduce yourself after being dropped by your label. Ironically enough, as I began to slip into some of my darkest years, I was in the midst of rebranding myself as a strong, badass, independent female. It felt like the biggest diversion from my sweet bubblegum pop image. So this is the thing. It's like she is just rebranding as a different thing that she isn't. My EP, As She Pleases, was my first step into rebuilding some of my confidence. Like, she's creating an image of who she wants to be. She talks about, like, becoming a songwriter and, like, learning the ins and outs of the music industry. But I do think that these are things she could have done not. I mean, something this made me really appreciate is when I started stand up, this guy, Drew Doughty, was like, the best thing in the world is that nobody pays attention to you at the beginning because that's when you can get good and push boundaries and like try different things out. He's like the minute you have eyes on you, it's harder to take big failures and like big swings and see where you can land. And I do think there's something to be said for finding a voice out of the spotlight where millions of people aren't waiting to criticize you. 
I know right now she's getting a lot of criticism for like ripping off Ariana Grande. And I'm like, yeah, I bet most 18-year-old singer-songwriters are ripping off Ariana Grande. And then you do a second thing and you find your It's hard to find your voice. It's hard to find your voice. It takes a lot of time. I think you have to like write and create things for years that are not ever supposed to see the light of day. She doesn't have the skill set to be like putting things out there at the level that she's putting them out there. Anyway, journal prompt two, playlist of my life. Did you write any songs? No. By the time I was nearing the end of my teenage years, I could barely remember what life was like before being signed. My self-worth was made up entirely of other people's opinions about me. While the praise we're given as children can push us to grow in healthy ways, sometimes the things we internalize as valuable aren't exactly healthy. For young girls, it starts when people in childhood praise us for being cute or easygoing or well-behaved, and we quietly begin to believe that those are the things we're supposed to be. I held so many conflicting views of who I was. Someone would tell me I was talented, destined for stardom, and I'd believe them, but then someone would tell me that my voice wasn't anything special, and I'd instantly switch to believing them, too. I mean, this is just why kids shouldn't be famous. Kids internalize so much shit so to have them listening to 10 million voices instead of like the 11 adult voices they would have known otherwise is just guaranteed to ruin their lives and so she talks about how she only felt good when she had praise but the praise comes and goes so quickly and she actually had to learn to have her own praise this is actually insightful it probably sounds weird but saying that I need to learn how to ignore the positive comments. I'm forever grateful for the love I receive. It means the world to me. But I also can't let myself become too reliant on it because I know how quickly the internet moves and how easily people can change their opinions. It isn't stable. It's difficult to try and push aside the hate, but it's even harder to not become dependent on the positivity. Hello, snackers. Boy, do I have a snack solution for you. When you're grocery shopping, sometimes you don't think about the times between meals that you are going to need a delicious snack. And that is why nuts.com is the go-to place for all of your snack needs. Nuts.com is a one-stop shop for freshly roasted nuts, dried fruits, sweets, pantry staples like specialty flowers, and more. Their wide selection means there is something for everyone. Nuts.com offers gluten-free options, organic choices, and other diet-friendly products. Whether you're looking for something sweet, savory, or you need to stock up on everyday essentials, you're going to find something that you want to try. We have a bunch of Nuts.com snacks in our office right now, and I look look forward to recording because I said, listen, these are special office snacks, and I cannot wait until I get in there and I can get a chocolate-covered gummy bear. In our episode recording today, we've taken three mango breaks, and I'll tell you what, every single one was completely worth it. I am so happy to have a delicious array of snacks at my fingertips right in our office. Shop a la carte anytime or opt into hassle-free auto deliveries so you never run out of your favorite items. And if you're already stocked up at home, they sell directly to businesses like our fancy business. Snack with satisfaction knowing that quality is a top priority at nuts.com. They roast their nuts and pop their corn the same day it ships so it reaches you deliciously fresh. Since 1929, they've been doing it the old-fashioned way. One taste and you will know the difference. Right now, nuts.com is offering new customers a free gift with purchase and free shipping on orders over $29 at nuts.com worm. So go check out all of the delicious options at nuts.com worm. You'll receive a free gift and free shipping when you spend $29 or more. That's nuts.com worm. At one point, I guess after a breakup, she was down and out. Without the internet's praise to draw from, I was forced to sit with myself and truly figure out who I was again. I had to build myself up from the ground. So this is something I feel like there's a lot of therapy lessons in this book like things she's been told honestly quite recently and I I agree with all of them but they're just like very conflicting with like 
everything else she's saying most of the time. I mean, we've heard this advice before. Like if you're going to internalize a hate comment, then you have to internalize all the positive comments. But just reading the way that the comments affect her so heavily, like it's heartbreaking. She's clearly working hard at it. And she's just, I don't know how you could ever get there because no one has protected her from the comments. Mm -hmm. The summer of 2019 was simultaneously the lowest point of my personal life and the height of my creative career. She was newly 20 working on an album, but she was also becoming more dependent on drugs like Xanax to sleep at night. I was actively suicidal, but I had grown used to it and, and the thought didn't alarm me anymore. I titled my album Life Support because that's genuinely what it was, my lifeline. So she says at this point, she just like was assuming that she was going to kill herself one day. Even my fans started catching on to the fact that something was wrong. When I was photographed in public, I was always in sweatpants, no makeup, and my arms were always covered even on a hot and sunny day. But all the comments, even though they were kind of coming from a place of concern and they were correct, made her not want to leave her house. I was making music and doing what I loved, but I was miserable. And on top of it, I felt guilty for being so depressed despite all the overwhelming positives in my life. I never allowed myself to be the victim. I always forced myself to swallow my tears, shake it off, and remind myself that there were still a million other kids who would do anything to be in my position. The thing is, they would do anything to be in the position they think that you're in and they, and you think you're in. But the clearly the truth is there are not one million kids who want to be like suicidally depressed and revenge porned. Right. The truth is... Anybody who would want to switch places with you doesn't actually know what it's like to be you. And you have to allow yourself to feel the feelings you're feeling because you can't be like, well, people who don't know anything about me think my life's great. So who am I to be sad? And it's like, yeah, well, they don't know anything about you. Your life isn't great. She doesn't trust anyone. She like doesn't have very many people in her life. I was portraying the best version of myself that I could, trying to fool everyone into thinking I was happy, busy and successful. I mean, that's why they want to trade places with you. She talks about these girls she met who were like, oh, my God, you're beaming. You're so happy. And she was like, yeah, if you look at my Instagram, I look happy. But I looked at the girl on the screen and saw a stranger. And it made me feel even more alone because no one knew the real me. I was so good at keeping up appearances that no one knew how much I was struggling. If I took my own life, would anyone have seen it coming? I was so visible yet so unseen. I felt the most isolated I'd ever been in my career. Like I backed myself into a corner. The truth is, even though I wouldn't change it, I'd lost a lot of my childhood. The truth is, there were a lot of things I wish the adults around me had done differently to protect me. The truth is I had so many things going right for me and none of it was enough to cancel out the hurt. My crisis point came amid a perfect storm. Sometime in late August, when someone I was seeing broke up with me for another girl, I got into an argument with one of my close friends. And then when I was scrolling through social media, trying to distract myself, my timeline was full of hate directed at me. I felt like I was being attacked from all angles. The entire world hated me and I hated me even more. That night, after many nights of debating, I took a handful of whatever pills I could find and prayed that I wouldn't wake up in the morning. When I did, what scared me the most was how apathetic I was. I was so numb that I couldn't even figure out whether I was disappointed or relieved that I had been unsuccessful. And that day she decides that she needs to create a life that she wants to stay alive for. And she says, if I could get rid of all the pain, would I want to stay alive? And she says, yes. So she's like, okay, I have to figure out a way to get rid of the pain. And it is this horrible thing where I'm like, people do hate her so much online and like for no reason other than like straight up misogyny just by virtue of like the world we've created. I have to tell you, much like Meghan and Harry, if you don't want to live in a world with Madison Beer, Madison Beer almost never comes up for me. Yeah, it is very possible to have a Madison Beerless life. Every now and then she'll have these moments of clarity where her managers like go to the grocery store, no one will recognize you or something like which she'll do a live show where she's like, oh, wait, people actually like my music at the live shows. But like. It really feels like there's no one she can talk to that will like remind her that the internet isn't real and like actively keep her from it. Or she says when she would go to her friends, her friends are like, but so many people love you. And that's really not the point. When I first started looking to therapy, I was reluctant and skeptical. And she says she had gone a couple times and she didn't really believe in it. 
Though I won't admit it at the time, there was also another part of me that, despite myself, didn't want to get better. I told myself that I was just smart enough to see the world for what it was, that the veil had been lifted at a young age and I was just more in touch with reality. So her therapist tells her that she has trauma and she's like, that seems dramatic. In my head, I was already imagining the comments online if I were to even hint at having trauma. I thought I'd be torn apart. And she's just like, other people have worse lives than me, so how can I go to therapy to try to get better? And her therapist is like, no, you're allowed to try to get better. And also I would argue what happened to her is bad. Bad. So she's also addicted to Xanax. And finally, she starts trying to get off of it. And having that awakening, getting off of Xanax allowed her to get the help she needs. And she says, my journey with it hasn't stopped three years later. I'm currently off it. But six months ago, I was not. She does not get back into that. Then she talks about having a best friend now. It's like really helped her to have someone that she truly trusts. Okay, but can we talk about who the best friend was? A fan. She found Lena, her best friend, when she stumbled across her Instagram account where she had a post she had written about me as part of a course she was taking for college. She described as a stranger how it felt to watch me grow all these years. She spoke about my journey and how it resonated with her, how it pertained to the bigger part of social media and its impact on young girls. She saw me. She really, really saw me more clearly than I believe any person had ever seen me before. And so they just start like FaceTiming all the time and then they become best friends. And that woman actually has a master's in writing and I think she helped write this book. But I'm like, thinking about the Selena documentary, I'm wondering if this is like a paid helper. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's a bad sign if your best and only true friend is like a fan who wrote an essay about you. He wrote like a dissertation about you. And then she says, you know, it's worth sticking it out. My healing journey has not been overnight. It's not one size fits all. Healing isn't linear. I'm a work in progress and I always will be. Every day I have to wake up and make the conscious decision to keep working on myself. At my lowest, I wasted a lot of time feeling sorry for myself, convinced that my misery was the hardest thing I would ever go through. But it was actually my journey to find healing that was the hardest. I had to start by believing that I was even worthy of feelings like happiness and joy in the first place. So then we have another fan letter asking her how she deals with betrayal, like having her photos leaked. And she is talking about she like has kind of had to turn it around and say like the journey I'm on to loving myself wouldn't have happened if that incident would have happened, which I guess is the most positive way to look at. And she says, you know, what I went through, I came out and now I can help other people. And so many people have reached out to me since. And she says, so when she turned 21, the video resurfaced and went viral again. And she finally came out and acknowledged it this time. And on Women's Day in 2020, she wrote a post about how fucked up it is that that was allowed to happen. And she goes, I looked back. It was easier to understand that I didn't do anything wrong aside from trusting the wrong person. But at the time, everyone around me made me feel like I made such an adult mistake that the responsibility fell on my shoulders and my shoulders only. I wasn't allowed to be upset because I'd ultimately brought it upon myself. Never mind the person who leaked the video in the first place. Never mind the boys in my hometown who posted it online, the thousands of users online who spread around explicit video of an underage girl or the news outlets that drew more attention to it. No, none of them got in trouble. And so she posts this post. So many people reached out and so many girls were like, I went through a similar thing. Thank you for like speaking up for us. And people from her school, girls reached out saying like, I'm so sorry for like ever having a part in this here's the thing i should have been better protected it's a federal crime to knowingly send or receive an image of a minor engaging in sexually explicit conduct i wasn't the one who distributed online to this day there's no federal laws revolve around revenge porn there must be about child porn though right there must be about the fact that she was a minor but that is insane that there is just like no protection and so she says you know a lot has changed she thinks i think the culture online has changed we've become a lot more self-policing I guess it's crazy that it's like, yeah, it's true that we have become more self-policing. And I can't believe that, like, there aren't actual laws. Like, why aren't there police policing? But most importantly, I'm no longer ashamed, realizing that was the first step. So we're back in therapy. And would you believe it? She has BPD and OCD. 
It feels like my entire life's journey thus far has been a perfectly crafted cocktail of situations that landed me at this diagnosis, as if my biography could be written entitled How to Give Someone BPD, a Step-by-Step Guide. And she goes into how she believes that the situations in her life lend specifically to the details of these diagnoses. A lot of her anxieties and fears have been exacerbated by like real life events and compounded by having millions of people confirm those anxieties. And she says she kept her BPD diagnosis. That also stands for borderline personality disorder. For those of you who don't know, she kept it to herself for a while. And then in 2020, she started opening up about it. And the response was more positive than she thought. And it felt like people were really being made to feel less ashamed when she was able to talk about it. And so she likes to include that in all of her interviews so that she can like speak for the people who also suffer. The promise I made to myself to stay alive was now growing into something bigger. I was doing it for myself, but I was also now staying alive to prove a point to all the young adults who looked up to me. I thought I would have to be fully healed and moved on before I ever approached the idea of talking about it publicly, but I think it makes more of a difference when I tell my fans, hey, I'm still struggling too, and I struggle every day, but we're in this together. Okay, so then she has a letter that says, I finally worked up the courage to tell my parents about my struggles with self-harm, but they didn't understand. They think I'm just being a dramatic teenager looking for attention. And I actually think her answer is really good. She's like, yeah, of course you're looking for attention. Like when you're hurting yourself physically like that, it's because something is wrong and you need help. Like the idea that you're like, oh, that's just a cry for help. Oh, it's like, okay, so then help her. Listen to the cry for help. I will laugh at this though. I have to laugh at Madison Beer. She goes, when it comes to self-harm, I think the reason it's become an issue specifically within my generation is because we've neglected to emphasize the importance of mental health. Okay, show me the generation that's done a better job talking about mental health. I'm sorry, nobody <laughs> has emphasized mental health like Gen Z. So let, that's not the problem. No. So she gets another question. Do you ever get overwhelmed with putting yourself out there? Are there times when you wish you could put everything on pause? Boy, oh boy. Spot on, Sophie from New York. I feel overwhelmed by the fact that there is no way out. Even if I deleted all my social media, people out there would still talk about me, speculate about me, and perceive me. It can feel like you're trapped. I made a life-altering decision to be in the public eye at age 12. As an adult, I do question what choices I would make differently today if I got the chance to start over. So here's the thing. She did not make the decision. Her parents made a decision for her. Even if it is true that that video went viral organically, lots of people go viral once and don't sign with a major label and like ride the wave to the extent that she jumped on the conveyor belt. And I also don't agree that I think if she deleted all of her social media today and just like went off the grid and like became a preschool teacher, yes, for the rest of her life, there would be a random article here and there being like, whatever happened to Madison Beer? But like, it would not be to the extent of perception that you get from having 35 million followers. Yeah. And I think that's the lie she's been fed. I think as she gets older, it is more on her. It's more of her responsibility to acknowledge that she's choosing to maintain this. I think right now she's 23 writing this. I think she's right at the tail end of still dealing with the fallout of choices that were made for her as a child. And so I will give her a pass. But I think if you're 29, 30 years old and being like, listen, I have no option but to continue to be an influencer. I'm like, that is a lie. Mm -hmm. you most definitely could at least scale it back hugely. You don't have to continue to court it. The problem is she's permanently paranoid. She shares stories about every time she leaves her house, somebody has a lens and is taking photos. The times her own friends have sold info. Her therapist sold in, like told information about her to another client. I mean, that's illegal. Every time she enters a hotel room, she has to sweep for bugs. That paranoia, when it's like brought on, with validity, I don't know how you deprogram yourself from that. I, it's hard when somebody's acting crazy, but they're completely correct. And it's like, I don't know what to tell you. You're right. Every time you leave the house, someone could take a video of you and use it 
to shame you forever. Um, and I do think that's part of maybe the feeling trapped. Like she has to keep like, well, if it's always going to be negative, at least I'll keep the positives. But I do think that that is something she'll have to grow out of because the yeah. truth is people forget about you. Everyone is saying like, yes, yeah, someone will take things you say out of context. So be careful with everything you say, not like figure out who you are and speak authentically from that place. Like no one is explaining to her how to like beat it. It isn't human to be on 24 seven for anyone, but years and years of being made fun of for the smallest things change you as a person trending on Twitter for over 24 hours straight with over 200,000 tweets under a hashtag saying you are over is horrible. It's something I don't wish upon my worst enemy. It is true. And I think Taylor Swift says this in her Miss Americana. What does a therapist say to you when you're like, I feel like everyone hates me and they go, that's in your head. And you go, no, it's on Twitter and it's trending in the world. The most popular thing to say right now is that they hate me. I don't know how anybody comes back from that, especially a child. No, I don't know. She also says like in her close relationships, like she doesn't know who to trust. Like she talks about the way all these things have fully rewired her brain. And I'm just like, yeah, that's why your parents messed up. Realistically, as long as I choose to stay public, I will always be acutely aware of eyes on me. I understand that and I've made peace with it. I wouldn't sacrifice the things I have now to get rid of it. But there are moments where I'm reminded it's potential to truly interfere with my life. It's a balancing act that can easily overwhelm me. So she has a lot of anxiety and she has a hard time sleeping. She talks about another time that she accidentally took pills that she wasn't sure which was which. She took four pills because she wanted to sleep and she went to get in bed next to her boyfriend. She was not feeling good. She is not sure what she took. And they decide that they have to call the paramedics. And she's so anxious about calling the paramedics because she's like, well, what if people find out about it? And they think I'm being dramatic or they think I'm being stupid. The next day she has this moment of being like, I had a health scare and I was more afraid of like what people would say about it than I was about my own health. But I don't know that there's really a resolution to it. I think she says next time I try to OD, I'll go to the hospital. I will say from here on out, the book gets a bit repetitive and it gets just a lot about like, it's really mean to be mean. It's like this next page is glass houses. It's about social media. So she talks about when she gets hate comments and sometimes she'll look at who's saying them and it's like, a mom with a daughter her own age and she's like why would you say this to me what if someone said this to your daughter yeah she goes they say sticks and stones may break my bones but will, words will never hurt me but broken bones heal and words stick with you for a lifetime and I was like oof ain't that the truth <laughs> she reminds you that you're allowed to feel neutral about people about clothing about controversial topics you're allowed to dislike someone but what's the use in vocalizing it I do think that's a good reminder you don't have to feel passionately about everything sometimes you just go huh her friend says you have to figure out a way to ignore it and if you can't, if it's going to hurt you this bad every time, maybe this isn't the career path for you. I know it's not right, but this is the kind of stuff that comes along with it. It just is. And she says, why is this amount of abuse something I have to accept as part of having a platform? If I let myself view it as normal, I'd be accepting treatment I didn't deserve. For me, it boiled down to one question. Who am I helping by pretending it doesn't affect me? No one. And this is the thing is I think she does receive like an inordinate amount of hate and it is insane her friend is right in saying like you do have to have a thick skin because you are going to receive criticism for having a public life like she gets hate and criticism and I think that that is the thing that she like doesn't deserve I think her friend who's also famous knows about the hate yeah I think some people are better at ignoring it some people just are built for it in a way that's like psychotic that's true Chrissy Teigen there's tons of people out there who go viral on doing controversial fucked up things and they know it's going to get hate and they're happy to be that asshole. Yes. So then someone asked, how do you get a real friend? And I don't think Madison Beer is actually in a position to answer this, but she tries her best and she knows what a fake friend is. And a fake friend is a boy who pushed her into a dark room, 
even though she told him that she has trauma from her childhood of something really horrible happened to her in a dark room. And I was like, what happened to you in the dark room? Is it the thing from before? And she had told him that she's scared of the dark because of a trauma. And he pushed her in the dark only to then comfort her. And she's like, that was a fake friend. And I was like, true. True. And then she said, meanwhile, a real friend is when we go to amusement parks, my close friends are a step behind me, always ready with a phone flashlight if any attractions are too dark. And that's when I was like, oh, Madison Beer, you have no real friends. Those are assistants. Why would they pull out their phone for a flashlight and not yourself? Yeah. Like when your friends are ready and waiting to serve you like that, then they're not your friends. They like work for you. So in the next chapter, she says, I touched on a lot of negatives in this book, enough that most of you have probably wondered why I wouldn't just give up and choose something different to do with my life. For a long time, I always said that making music and performing are what I was put on this earth to do, but I've come to realize that my purpose is even simpler than that, to connect with people. Music and performing are the avenues that get me there, but it's the moments of human connection they foster that make me feel like I've truly found what makes me special. And then she goes on to be like, that's why I love doing Q&As. That's why I love talking to young girls. And I'm like, okay, so here it is. You are in fact an influencer and you've just admitted it. I'm sorry, Madison Beer, but your attempt to be like the hero of this story and be like, I love to serve really outed you as someone who does not care about the music. Like Q&As are also not how you connect with people. That's how you get to talk about yourself the most. Well, she likes to do meet and greets and hear their stories, she says. I hope we get to hear about in the other half of it. Because if music is the thing she does it all for, like you can do music at a lower level and not have like the constant barrage of public attention. And if you want to connect with people, actually being a public figure is one of the worst ways to connect individually with people. She meets 150 people before every show. The question is, how many shows has she done ever? But yeah, I think she's on tour now. And she says she went to this high school girl group and she chatted with everyone and someone came up to her and they cried together about a breakup. And she said, can I hold your hand? Something came over me. I needed to show her she was loved. They held hands. They cried. I thank people like this girl for showing me why I'm still here. I thank people like this girl for showing me that while I did miss out on some teenage activities growing up, what I have gained in return is far more meaningful. I don't know that she said said that. I don't know that she's like, wow, I'm so lucky that I was like traumatized my whole childhood so that I could come here and tell these normally sad girls. It gets better. She then talks about her looks briefly, barely, and she says... A lot of times I get made fun of because when I'm on the red carpet, I'm always looking at myself in the monitor and playing with my hair. And she says, it's because I'm insecure and I'm scared of looking bad. It's the opposite of self-obsession. It's fear and insecurity. And I think this is the great lie insecure, anxious people tell themselves that they're not self-obsessed. It's the opposite. They're not confident. I'm like, okay, it's still self-obsession. So then she says the big thing that's mattered to her about her new contract is having creative control. And she fought really hard for it. She signed with Epic Records. And then she tells a couple stories about like putting out music where she demanded her single be the single, even though the company said no. I've never heard a music company know what to put out as a single. Anyway, so she's just really proud of herself. She's been fighting tooth and nail to have her vision come true. And it's been very rewarding. Good for you, Madison Beer. Standing up for yourself means you care. She's proud of herself. People are proud of her. Instead of trying to succeed out of spite, to stick it to the people who doubted me, I flip the narrative. I will succeed to show the kids who look up to me that it's possible. I tell myself, I will succeed to forge a path for those who follow me. Um, okay. She goes on to write about her whole family and to like thank them for their duties, for their service. My mom was our rock through all the madness. I mean, your mom created the madness. At one point, her mom came into her room when she was a little bit older and says, like, I didn't know that you were going through all that when you were so young. Did I fuck up? by like letting this happen like when we moved out to LA did I make a mistake and she is like no I can't blame you for it you didn't know either we're all trying our best but I would say yes I would say yes you did make a mistake and I think that'll be the second half of it 
If I'm being completely honest, I have a lot of guilt surrounding my brother, Ryder. He was about nine years old at the time I uploaded my YouTube video and his life just uprooted. And she's like, if he was mad at me, I'd get it. And then she says, my dad is amazing. He's always been my biggest fan, even if he went weeks at a time without seeing me. Thanks for supporting me from afar. A lot of times it seems like the moms are the steam engines behind the child star pushing. And then we're like, where were the dads? The dads were just like sitting, watching with gritted teeth, being like, ooh, I don't know if that's right. Dads are parents too. And he also fucked up by not saying stop. I just, I'm, I've just talked a lot of shit about the mom in this because the mom was the one there, but I also want to talk shit about the dad. Oh no, I 100% blame the dad too. Then someone writes in a letter saying, I feel like a failure. Everyone around me is moving forward. And I look at all my friends and it's like everything comes to them easily. But for me, I have to fight to get out of bed in the morning. She says like, it's actually not easy for anyone. Everyone's having a hard time. There's no step-by-step guide or formula to life. And like you have to not compare yourself to others. And this is where she touches on body image again. She never says what old days were like, but she's like, one day I just woke up and liked cooking for myself. And now I cook and that's fun. And that's a healthy way to eat. So that's nice. And I'm like, okay. Okay. As opposed to. This area gets kind of aimless. She says, I have things I hope to achieve. I want to sell out Madison Square Garden someday. We're back on thinking music is the goal. And she's just like, I wouldn't change it all because like, look where it ended up. It all is for the best. At the end of the day, I don't want to hurt other people to get what I want. I don't want to sell myself or pretend to be someone I'm not to appeal to a certain audience. The thing is about pretending to be someone you're not is like, I don't know that she's figured out who she is. I think who she is, she's figuring out more in line with how all young 20-year-olds, late teens figure it out. Yeah. As opposed to being told you're this. And if you put on an outfit and cry because you feel so disconnected from the character you're being told to portray, that's not who you are. But Right, right. But, but she's we're also, all copying others. But she's also sitting here being like, I don't want to sell out just to like fit some image when she was a Victoria's Secret model last year. I do think that is who she is. <laughs> everything happens for a reason she wouldn't avoid the pain if it meant changing like who she is now and to that I say uh, I think that's what you have to say in order to get through it any final thoughts on mad beer I guess I mean I know like young celebs get a lot of shit burning these books but I do understand her inkling because so much of the story that's been written about her and she has been talked about for over a decade now in the public was a narrative that was like concocted for her when she was a child. And I think it is very fair for her to be like, here's what was really going on. I'm an adult now. And like, it's almost a slate wiping. I think that she gets to be like, here's how I was really feeling. Here's how it really affected me. And I think you get to say, okay, and now you're becoming an adult. So from here on out, it is like take more responsibility for yourself. But I do think up until writing this book, I don't want to give her a hard time because I don't know. She was a child that was exploited and like abused by the public and used by her parents. And I mean, I would not trade lives with her. I would not wish her life on anyone. And I do think it's fair for her to like want to now in a more serious way, share her side of things. Yeah, I think it is hard. I like honestly, I'm starting to like genuinely believe that like in curriculum, there needs to be like an understanding of like media literacy. And like there is, of course, people who look up to her and say she has a perfect life and I want to live that life. And I think it is good that she's saying like, no, it's not perfect. And you need to like, understand what I've been through but I think it like needs to go beyond that like I, I feel like there needs to be like education around like reality checks <laughs> anyway love you guys thank you so much to our five-star reviewers thank you to Kay Murr you are beautiful like a mermaid thank you to Quail you are the sweetest little bird in town thank you Sydney Stav I hope we can fly all the way to Australia for you Thank you to Marinka NYC. 
I think uh, that I really appreciate Marinka. Thank you to VTE Diamante. This review is Picante. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cassie827. I appreciate you 827 days a week. Thank you to TR Wall. This review drives me up a wall with joy. Thank you to Miss Phil. You have filled my heart with this gorgeous review. And thank you, med school girl. I cannot wait to have you as my doctor. I think that's all for this week. I appreciate you guys so much.